1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? He's back. Who are you? My name is Bond. James Bond. Sean Connery. As James Bond. Double O seven. Welcome to Hell, Blowfell. In Ian Fleming's Diamonds Are Forever, Sean Connery is back. Good evening. And he's brought his own special brand of excitement with him. Hey, what the hell is this? Hey, listen, you can't do this to me. I've got friends in this town. Ah! The women are still falling for him. I didn't know there was a pool down there. And so are a couple of men. <laughs> Sean Connery as James Bond 007 in Diamonds Are Forever. Sean Connery as James Bond 007. And as usual, he's not alone. Oh, that's quite a nice little nothing you're almost wearing. I approve. I don't dress for the hired help. Jill St. John as Tiffany Case. Charles Gray is three people. And all of them are named Blofeld. Good evening, 007. <laughs> From the diamond fields of South Africa. Curious. How everyone who touches those diamonds seems to die. To the canals of Amsterdam. From the casinos of Las Vegas. Hi, I'm Plenty. But of course you are. Plenty O'Toole. Named after your father, perhaps. To a rocket site in the Nevada desert. 
Sean Connery as James Bond, 007, in the newest, greatest Bond adventure of them all. and welcome to Is It Yours? I am Paul Spitaro and I am once again joined by my stellar James Bond panel, Mr. David Pascarella. How's it going? Good, thank you. And Mr. Chris Tyler. I was not named after my father. He's, he's John, John Tyler, right? <laughs> I wish. Today we are here looking at Diamonds Are Forever. The return of Sean Connery after a brief interlude of George Lazenby. And I do believe, based upon our advanced conversations, that we are going to have some level of disagreement with this. Mm. And I want to try and find out how much. Now, for me, personally, uh, every Bond movie in the traditional series, leaving out the uh, 1960s version of Casino Royale, (laughs) as well... Great theme song. As well as uh, Never Say Never Again, which I know uh, will take Dave out of this equation. But every single one of those movies, for me, has a level of enjoyment. Uh, none of them, there, there will be no such thing as a Jaws 4 in that group for me. And I'm not 100% sure if there's going to be a Jaws 3 or not. We're going to find out as we get further into this. But I've, I've often said any Star Trek movie, any Star Wars movie, any James Bond movie, I can get a level of enjoyment out of it. Uh, is that true for you, Chris? Uh, uh, I can enjoy all Bond movies. I just Some of them work better for me than others. Um, like Thunderball, I, I can't get through it. I've seen it all the way through once. To me, it's just super boring. Um, and it's, I don't know. And uh, there's like one, maybe one more where it's like, eh, I really don't want to watch it. I Diamonds are Forever, I, I, I can watch. I do have a opinion on it, though. All right, and that's fair. You know, I've, I've said many times that I, I welcome uh, disagreement on the show as long as it's articulated uh, reasonably. Oh God, then I shouldn't be on here. <laughs> uh, so, so we will see. Um, now, I saw this in the movie theater. This was the first Bond movie that I saw in the movie theater. Uh, I assume neither of you did. No, no, it was early on in cable. It was, run. it was 1971, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I wasn't here yet. I'm nope. soon, but not yet. You don't need to rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I, I had another eight years before I hatched. 
So I saw this in the movies with my mom and dad. I was a, a young, you know, wee lad at the time. That must and, be interesting. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I loved it. I was hooked right from the start. Uh, I remember the big buzz when this movie was out. And jumping right into it a little bit, the big buzz was the special effect scene of Bond driving the car on two wheels. Yeah. There was a mm-hmm. lot of talk about that at the time. And uh, to me, this is Sean Connery lightening up. Uh, it's almost almost a precursor of what we're going to see with Roger Moore, I think. Uh, you know, because it is a little bit more lighthearted in a lot of the things that we see in this. Mm. Uh, but I, I just I just found this to be fun, you know, throughout. It's to me, it's it's odd coming from his first five and then Honor Majesty's Secret Service to to get to this one. And uh, I don't know. I I feel a little bit of dissonance in it. Um, you say lightening up for his portrayal. I see. Yeah, I'll take the million dollars and give it to charity. Um, you know, which is great. Um, but I and I I understand Eon wanting to get him back and have a, another big hit before they totally changed course again. I just don't know. I just don't know if all the pieces were there. The theme song is great. The girls are gorgeous. Uh, I, but I find this one kind of plotting the same as Thunderball. It's just it, it's it's just kind of dull for me. See, I, I, to me, it, it feels like it really never lets up. So it's it's surprising that you would find it to be plotting. To me, it's surprising. Uh, All right. So you know, the movie opens up with uh, with with Bond on a mission because he's trying to get to Blofeld, and I I really enjoy that whole thing. You know, the, where is he? Uh, I did too because they don't show his face, but just long enough where it's not dragged out. Oh yeah, it's. I I think they're almost trying to play with you a little bit to, you know, you obviously if if you saw the movie yet or whatever, you know that it's going to be Sean Connery again. Yeah. But if they're having George Lazenby in there, I think they want to make you wait for a minute before you see Bond again. And then when yeah, he finally I, comes forward and, and does the, you know, Bond, James Bond moment. Yeah, and uh, I it, it's a pretty good intro. Um, and he is, you know, he starts off as that raw James Bond where he's just laying people out like it's his job, which it is. Um, but my God, does he look like he aged 15 years in between You Only Live Twice and this one? Yes. Well, like, what, they, what they did that made a difference is... You know, at this point now, he is, I, I think it was, uh, I think Thunderball was the first one where he wore a toupee. Oh, yeah. Uh, and now they have some gray work into the toupee as well. So I think that's that's the big difference in, in the look. And he's also filled out a little bit in the years, you know, since yeah. uh, he only lived twice, which I guess there was three years in between. He looks like he gained probably about 10 pounds in that time. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not a it's not a bad look. I got no problem with an older Bond, like at all. Um, but it's just interesting to see. You know what I find interesting? That little <clears throat> opening they do in every movie, the gun sight. Yeah. That it's 1971, and yet he's still wearing a hat. Well, I mean, 
I mean, at that point, I think he was not out of vogue that long, though. You know, you you are right. I mean, I think by 1971, the style was not to wear hats regularly unless you were older. Uh, But, you know, Sean Connery would have been in the age group that was still wearing them. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, Sean Sean Connery uh, is about the same age that my dad was. Uh, You know, they they were of a similar uh, era. And my dad wore a hat until the day we we lost him. So, you know, that that he never he he always you know if if it wasn't the baseball cap in casual you know out in the sun, uh, you know he had the fedora going uh, when he would wear a suit. He didn't think twice about it. Uh, and and for some reason on him it looked stylish. But what could I tell you? Uh, you know, hey, I, I think Sean, Sean Connery it. can pull it off too. Yeah, uh, not really him, but whatever. In the so, barrel. you know, my, my first note is because we, we meet Blofeld and, you know, the actor who's playing him is Charles Gray, who played Henderson in You Only Live Twice. And I explained to Dave the, when we talked about You Only Live Twice that I had seen these movies in reverse order. I saw Ooh. Diamonds Are Forever and I saw You Only Live Twice later. Uh, and when I saw You Only Live Twice, I was like, but that's Blofeld. You can't trust him. <laughs> uh, I don't know why they would cast him in the role. Honestly, I have no problem with the way he plays the part, but he, you know, much like Telly Savalas in the last one, he doesn't fit the the physical uh, or, well, actually, he does kind of have the mannerisms down, but he doesn't have the physical look. Telly Savalas had the physical look, but he didn't have the mannerisms. Yeah, this, well, I mean, if the idea is, is that he's going under radical surgery to change his appearance, then, you know what, you'd probably change everything about yourself. Mannerisms, speech, you know, if the intent is to remain covert, you're going to change everything. Yeah, that's so kind I, of how I've, I've justified it in my head canon as well. But I think I think they would have been better off casting somebody who just physically had the Blofeld look. You know, the bald, bald with a scar. <sighs> Could that have been an issue arising because of the Kevin McClory thing. Do you think that might've been a reason why they couldn't show the traditional looking Blofeld? I don't think so. I don't think at that point, and I don't think legally just by having somebody who looked different, you'd get out of it because you know, they, they, they never once tried to pretend like, you know, they were never coy about who it was. You know, yeah. Right from the start, they, they, they call him by name. You, you know, the funny thing is I think I saw diamonds are forever and then saw you only live twice. And in my head canon as a kid, it was like, oh, well, he looks like this from the end of Diamonds Are Forever, the explosion and all that. That's why he scarred up, not yeah, knowing that, that <laughs> how wrong I was. <laughs> now, the uh, the henchman in this one, you know, we, we've I guess our job is the well, we had our job. We had uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Red uh, in Red Grant. Red Grant. Red Grant. Uh, did we have any other good henchmen up to this point? Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, not, not particularly. I mean, we had the crazy woman in uh, in On a Majesty's Secret Service, the one that was laying in the bed when he went over. And yeah, uh, but yeah, no, nobody who really, really stood out. But now we have uh, it was, Mr. Uh, Wint and Mr. Kid. Uh, and uh, you know, I. I I'm surprised how many people don't know that uh, I forget which one is which. Uh, the one with the, the the balding with the long you know the long long hair but balding on top. He always reminded me of Rob Reiner. Uh, 
that's what my that's what my wife said. She's like, "Is that meathead?" I was like, "No, it's not." The, the other the other dude, uh, which I'm surprised people don't realize that's Crispin Glover's dad. Yeah, yeah. I, it looks exactly looks exactly like him. He yeah he he. I mean, there's really a, a lot of genetics going on there. Usually how it works. It's 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 interesting. You know, in 1971, the way they portrayed those characters, and I, I did not read the book, but I'm assuming they're fairly true to the way they are in the book. But, you know, I mean, they were pretty overtly gay. Uh, yeah. And they were not physically threatening so much as devious. Yeah. Which is, I'm sure, a whole train of thought. You know, you could go into all sorts of directions with that. But, um well, I'm, 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 not, I'm not looking to make it any, you know, where anybody should be insulted or anything like that. I'm just looking at it from a point of view of, you know, to what extent you would be afraid if these guys were after you. Well, I mean, if you're in the spy or the espionage game, then looking non-imposing is probably an asset, you know? True. So, but I mean, the, the one who's bald, and again, 71, he probably didn't stand out that much in 71. You know, we were still getting over the... Uh, the hippie flower child generation. So, yeah, but I mean, they could you could pass them on the street and you wouldn't think twice, which is kind of brilliant. It almost plays into that whole idea of, at the time it being maybe a bit uncomfortable and people just ignoring them for that reason. I that's yeah. I wasn't even thinking about it that way. Huh. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think, you know, I, I think it was the movie was kind of bold in that era to present them as being uh, pretty much overtly gay. I mean, they they don't really hide it. They they walk, they hold hands as they're walking. Uh, when when they're talking, they even you know they even make light of it when uh, uh, the one guy mentions that uh, Ms. Case is very attractive. Well, for a girl, and the other guy yeah. is all jealous when he says it. You know. Yeah. Yeah, some good bits with them. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of got a kick out of them in this movie. I remember, you know, laughing even at whatever I was, 10 years old, 9 years old when I saw this. Uh, <laughs> I, I, and again, I thought I thought Connery uh, played the part much, much lighter. Uh, you know, it, as I said, I, I think it was almost a, a sign of things to come that what we were going to get from Roger Moore with the more lighthearted James Bond with the quips. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know why, but the... Uh, the, the one the line that I just get a kick out of is when he's when he meets Peter Frank and he says you are English yes I speak English <laughs> yeah he's actually having a good time playing this version of Bond and then, then uh, you know she he he kills Peter Frank he throws his own ID on him so that uh that Tiffany will think that that you know he killed James Bond. He's got to be the worst secret agent ever, though. Oh, yeah. Right, right. That's what I was thinking with that. So it's like the whole world knows who James Bond is? Apparently. You just killed James Bond. I, oh, is that see, that's, that's, see, that's proves one of nobody's invulnerable. That, that's one of the things that kind of bothers me about this movie. It's almost like it's almost like it's a parody of the first five movies. And it's hard for me to, and I know that they do get goofier, but it's just so hard for me to reconcile it. You know what it's like? It's like a bad credit card. Well, it's the Playboy Club card, which is no, awesome. No, no, like, no. I mean that 
you know, like he's almost everyone knows who he is. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. And, and yet you have to be willing to kind of I mean, they already kind of did it in You Only Live Twice, where they had to pretend to kill him off to throw yeah. his enemies off. So he was already a well-known secret agent. You know, they, 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 oh, then again, he is he's a commander in the Navy, technically, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah. that would kind of be public record. Uh, maybe it's not as much of a stretch as I think it is. All right. No, but I, I think they, uh, you know, I think they play it for laughs. And, you know, the, the, the tone of what they're saying is, you know, everybody knows who James Bond is. He's the most famous uh, secret agent in the world, which, you know, it, it's, it makes it an oxymoron because you can't be mm-hmm. a secret agent and be fav- famous. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, and they do show, I, I kind of like, you know, they show Q's and Bond's competency with the fake fingerprints yeah. that, he, that he's got on that they know exactly what she's going to do. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a good moment in there. I'd let her figure me. I like the line where she she comes out and was it a blonde wig? Then she's got a dark wig. Yeah. She says, "Well, which do you prefer? As long as the cups and gala match." <laughs> so how did they get away with that line? <laughs> so that one is great. <laughs> and my response to that would be, "Who cares?" I don't think he'd really care either, based on his track record. I, I'm no, not, not fond, not fond of redheads. Too much. Uh, what is it? Tempers are too fiery, or something like that. Yeah, it's my own. Uh, one one of the things that always le- left me scratching my head. Uh, one, you know, and we 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 talked about this a little bit. And you only live twice too, with when with the assassination attempt when they tried to poison him, and the only reason he wasn't poisoned is because he just luckily happened to roll the other way as he was sleeping. Uh, I don't like when Bond gets out of deadly situations by pure chance or luck. I always want it to be his own competency that gets him out. So when they put him into the, into the coffin and then they're going to cremate him and then they take him out because they realize the money isn't real. That's not him getting out due to his own competency. That's just pure luck. And had five minutes more gone by, he would have been dead. Yeah, but you know what? It's like anything in life. There are some times when you just get that lucky break, like the car accident that you know you somehow avoided because you were five seconds behind where the guy who got into the accident was. I got no problem with that as long as it's not overdone. So, and it's it's just a way to ramp up the tension. What I find amazing is he flew into LAX, right? Mm-hmm. And then they arrived at the funeral home in Nevada. It's a four-hour and change ride that he had to sit in that hearse between the two goons. I had a brother. Hey. Small, Small world. world. <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then we have... We have I, Again, you know, it's it's really bad, but I find it to be charming. Shady Tree. <laughs> he, he's he's got to be like the worst comedian ever. He's like Henny Youngman, right? Oh, I think he's supposed to be Henny Youngman. 
These, these, I call these girls my eggcorns. <laughs> I haven't changed uh. my act in 20 years. <laughs> and uh, what else do we have? <laughs> uh, oh. oh, you know what? Oh. You know which one? What always threw me off to on this? When he's at the funeral home, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mr. Slumber? Yeah. Who's, who's played by an actor named David Bauer. I always thought he was Blofeld. He looks just like Charles Gray with a pair of glasses he is, he on. Is, yeah, yeah, he is similar looking, isn't he? So I, I always thought it was like, you know, when I was a kid, I thought that was Blofeld in disguise because he put a pair of glasses on. <laughs> so it's kind of kind of like Bond's disguise when he was uh, in in on a Majesty's Secret Service. So so what are you saying? You know, you put on a pair of glasses and people won't recognize you. Well, there is mm. somebody recording from the Superman room, so I guess he yes. doesn't you with that. All you need is the spit curl, Dave. You'd be all set. But but I remember watching it and thinking that's Blofeld. What are you doing? Well, I remember yeah. thinking that uh, that was the fastest cremation on record. And he sits in the chair for like what twenty five seconds, and they bring the urn in. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even wait for the for the ashes to cool off. No. <laughs> uh, what else do we got here? We got the you know the scene with with the the chase scene in in Vegas, which oh wait wait we got it before we get to that, where he goes back to the hotel room with Lana Wood. And the mobsters break in. One of the best lines when he, they throw her out the I window. There was a pool there. <laughs> <laughs> One yeah, of the that, best. That's... And then, then just to, to keep going with it, uh, he does. He, he basically repels his way up to the penthouse after he's put on in house arrest. Uh, and Blofeld, you know, kind of, you know, is 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 on to him at that point, but. You know, scaling the side of the building, all, you know, he he just happened to have that stuff with him, and uh, he, and he, and he uh, you know, and this, fun. and this is the point where it is Bond's abilities because he executes it absolutely perfectly. Every shot with the pitons goes exactly where it should. He swings exactly to where he needs to be, <laughs> and he gets yeah. into the and he gets into the penthouse, you know, with with without ever without ever breaking a sweat, pretty much. Well, you know, he's James Bond. Yeah, but that's that's but now so, we... that's so the antithesis of the guy who had to be pulled out of the uh, coffin. Well, now we have before that not one but two back-to-back car chases. Yeah, the one with the moonmobile in the desert with the worst security on the planet, apparently. <laughs> Which then leads to my one of my favorite car chases in history where, for those who haven't seen it, he's gotten away from the bad guys who have taken over a, a research facility and the security can't get him. So they call the authorities. And as they're riding into town, the sheriff of Las Vegas sees him. And the line is, there goes that son of a bitch and saboteur. Yeah, <laughs> I love that line. And he whips around, and of course, Bond takes off. Massive car chase wrecks what? Seven, eight squad cars? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
one of my favorite parts of the whole picture. Because I'm simple like that. I love the car chase, but the moon buggy chase, I'm like... Yes, the moon buggy chase is... No, I love but the they, moon buggy chase. I just think it's hilarious. I love that I, whole scene, you know, Hans Ker- was it Klaus Hergesheimer from G Section. And uh <laughs> Can you get out of here, you annoying little man. See like, no, no, no that's fine. That stuff's fine. It's just that but the, the chase, actual chase is bad. I mean it's like but, they but just Bond, Bond, Bond walks over, knows exactly how to start that thing, then knows how to drive it. Well you'd have to Honestly, my biggest problem with that whole sequence in the desert is, are they implying that the moon landing was faked with that? I, I, never, that. I never took that, or is that from it. Or that practice training? Okay. That's, that's what I saw it as, like a, tra- a practice facility. But, you know, Fair. there were people who thought the moon landing was, or there are people who think the moon landing is fake. I don't agree with them. That's I saw the video of Buzz Aldrin punching a guy right in the face. <laughs> he had it coming. Yep. Uh, but no, the car chase is great. I mean, that cherry red Mustang, it's tall and ass, it's awesome. And Jill St. John in the passenger seat. And then we end up on the oil rig with, with the most personality-less scientist ever counting down. <laughs> That's the job. How do you get that job? Ten minutes. And counting. <laughs> He's German, so maybe that explains it. I find that to be pretty amazing. That that's all that guy does. That's his whole job. Well, you got to have that guy. You know, come on. You can't be in the control that control room the whole time. You got to make plans if you're the evil genius. Hmm. So, and once again, you know, the, the, their whole idea is, you know, basically espionage, that they're going to hold the world hostage. Like Thunderball. Well, in like yeah, Thunderball, exactly. like, like on a Majesty's Secret Service, like you only live like, twice. Uh, like Goldfinger, we're just going to ransom the gold, basically. Yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> Spectre's role. Yes. What do you think of the music in this one? I love the theme, but the... The new arrangement, I mean, the new pieces for this, eh, when they use the stuff from the first five movies, love it, but nothing, no new themes really stick out in my head other than the the theme song. Well, the main theme is clearly, in my mind, an attempt to recreate the success of the Goldfinger theme song. Of course. Yeah, you, know, you bring back Shirley Bassey, you have another, you know, lounge singer type song. Uh, I, I think it... it I think it totally hits. I love the. Uh, oh yeah, it's great. It's the, it's one of the best ones. Yeah, you know, definitely the, the, one of the, the best. The music as it goes on, I don't think it's necessarily any worse than what we've had in the other ones. I just think it's kind of typical for them. It is, yeah. It, nothing stands out. What did you guys think of Willard White? Jimmy Dean. He makes a, makes a mean sausage. That I love his sausages. I'm actually going to make my own homemade breakfast sausages this weekend. So, it's a, he's a fun character when he finally shows up. CIA, FBI. It's like I see you met my friends Bambi and Thumper. <laughs> what's what's his best his best line in the movie though? Baja. There you go. <laughs> but you see, that goes back to what you were saying about it's pure luck. If he had said. From New York to San Francisco, we would have been all right. But because he went to Baja, Baja, 
<laughs> we don't own anything in Baja. Well, you know, somebody else figured it out by a uh, way of, um, yeah, pure dumb luck. Whatever. <laughs> it's all right. And why the hell would Blofeld build a thing like that and put the Baja Monopoly piece in there? Because it's important. You always have to have your, your scale model with everything. Pretty much. So yes. Blofeld was a comic collector is what we're saying. Probably. We all know our own. Yes. I, I always so. questioned at the end, the Blofeld, well, yeah, I mean, you have reason to think the Blo, that Blofeld could have died at the end, but uh, how do you know that the, you know, the Blofeld that eventually move, moves on from this movie, how do you know that that's really Blofeld and not just one of his, you know, recreated plastic surgery Blofelds? Who knows? You don't know, and that's kind of the fun thing about it, because I'm sure if the things worked out with Kevin McClory, they probably would have kept using Blofeld through the the Roger Moore because why wouldn't you? He's the long-standing arch-villain. He's the Moriarty. So, I don't know. But again, the next time we see him, we only see the back of his head, and he's bald, and he's in a wheelchair, so who the hell knows? And on his way down the smokestack. He's Sorry. He's going to buy Buy him a delicatessen. Apparently I never, did, I never did understand that line, but we'll get to that a few movies down the way. Yes. Down the road. <laughs> do you do you remember um, the scene in the movie where the uh, CIA is following Tiffany and she goes into the uh, Zambora, yes. the woman who turned. I remember as a kid going to Atlanta. My folks took us to Atlantic City, and they had that. On oh, the, nice. uh, the steel pier. They used to have Zambora oh. over at uh, Nelly Bly over on uh, off the Belt Parkway. Yeah. It's a franchise. You can be Zambora if you want. They just got plenty of the money for the rights. And, and we, we went in it a few times. It's actually kind of amusing the way they do it. <laughs> I remember as a little kid being so fascinated with that. <laughs> oh. What do we think of Felix Leiter in this movie? I think he had two of the funniest lines in the picture. I'm sure you can find some way to amuse yourself. Oh, well, there, now he's got three lines. I like when he refers to Tiffany as uh, having a lifetime reservation at another hotel, the kind run by the government. Yeah, that's a good line. The actor himself is kind of bland. It's not the, the Felix that sticks out in my head. I guess none of them really do other than Jack Lord. And, uh, Jack Lord is... The Felix Leiter, forever. We, we, we have not had a good Felix Leiter pretty much since Jack Lord at this point. I like Jeffrey Wright. Which I'm in talking the, about. In the, in the new ones. In the, oh, in yes, the... yes. No, he's fine. I'm talking about up to this point, up to Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, Jack Lord is really the only good Felix Leiter we've had. Yes. But again, it's not really been a huge character. He pops in and does his piece and then yeah, he's out. I think it's a mistake because I think I – think I think Felix Leiter is supposed to be the American James Bond. More and, or less, yeah. And to to portray him as lesser, uh, you know, I I, I, I guess it, it could feed Sean Connery's ego some, but it, it I think it should be, you know, that they're pretty much equals. Host Jack Lord, I'm going to cross the streams here, where Garrick summed it up best. I was working for the wrong spy agency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
but the other uh, line that I get a kick out of is uh, when Bond says to him, you know, he, this isn't the real White House and he's not the president. Let's just go up there and see him. And he's president, like, the president, I can, get you, I can get you in to serve. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one, too. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so this is your, you know, we, we've talked about in the past, some of the plots are more convoluted than others. Some are easier to follow. This is one where if you don't think too hard, if you don't question what's going on too much, and you just go along for the ride, it it feels like it flows naturally. It doesn't, you, you don't, you know, if you start questioning, well, why are they in Amsterdam? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? Or how are they getting away with this? You know, <laughs> some, some questions start coming up. But if you just kind of sit back and relax and let it take you for the ride, I think this is, this one is one of the less confusing plots. I was good with that with everything. Only one point I couldn't get past. Mr. Wind and Mr. Kid, their plan of killing Bond is to take him into the desert and leave him in a pipe that's going to be installed. Oh, and when he wakes up the next morning, it's already installed. Right, but I mean, nobody, no, not my job to notice the guy sleeping in the pipe. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Hey, I get paid to lay the pipe. I don't care if there's a guy in it. Stick it in the ground and bury it. <laughs> And then he apologizes to the rat for smelling. Yes. Yeah, that that line was a little much. I was out walking my rat. I think I got lost. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, but it's 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 an enjoyable moment, so I'm totally willing to overlook it. But you're absolutely right. Any anything else significant in this one? Yes, we have one more thing. As far as I'm concerned, we have the return of Shane Rimmer who was working for Willard White, like an aide after they find him. He was the NASA guy in You Only Live Twice. He's the guy who was in Star Wars. Or, whereas Luke, if he wants a new R2 unit, he's in Superman 2. Yeah, he's yes. like in, he's going to be in, I think, another couple of Bond movies, too. Okay, well, he, he's yeah, your he, job to keep track of now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Got any other notes? Yes. Um. Yeah, Jill St. John's purple bathing suit when she's on the oil rig at the end. Showing a little bit of uh, a little bit of cheek. cheek. Little, little, little cheek. Cheek Too bad they weren't brains. Stupid squid. The stupid squid. I already changed it. I got a great idea. Let's lock him up and put him in a thing with a big hole in the middle that he can escape from. <sighs> in my room, yeah. I have a gun. <laughs> we'll kill him together. It'll together. be fun. It'll be fun. <laughs> Is there any reason they didn't call in a, like a B-52 bombing strike once they knew where this platform was? They knew Bond was there. Well, I mean, if they didn't send him, why didn't they just bomb it? Well, I, I, you know, the only way I can justify it is that they wanted to gain or regain control over the satellite that now had all those diamonds on it. Yeah. And the control and center was on the rig. And you'd want to bring an evil mastermind to justice if you can, I would assume as well. 
I'm sure Richard Nixon was sitting there going, oh, yes, I want to bring this guy to justice. You, you got to think that if they had sent in a bomber, he would have been able to use the uh, the satellite to, to blast out of the sky. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. All right. There you go. That's that's how I'm justifying. Clearly, they couldn't target those helicopters coming in, though. But okay. Yeah, you know, you're right. You're right <laughs> I like that. when he says maybe we should take out New York, but then again, we might be doing them a favor. <laughs> and that's oh, De Blasio. Smut. <laughs> now they'd definitely be doing us a favor. Now we're going to get complaints. That was in the uh, that was in the Mayor Lindsay days. Oh God, Lindsay. So. How are we rating this? Do you want Who me to go, go first, Paul? Uh, I already know your rating, so go ahead. Give it to us. <laughs> All right. Uh, because of the the massive tonal shift with Connery in the lead and uh, a plot that is it's kind of basic, some of the humor doesn't land for me, and uh, some of the action is, eh, eh. All right, and I get it. He's older. That's fine. Um for me, I put this one along with with Thunderball as, as a as a Jaws three. Mm. Sue me, <laughs> don't sue me. I know what you guys do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, it's been nice having you on as a guest. Sorry, we got to let you go now. <laughs> Am I going to be getting a notary letter? <laughs> what, what do you say, Dave? Okay. To be honest about this movie, yes, it's it's not the best James Bond ever made. But I love this movie. This is one of my favorite, call it a guilty pleasure. I could watch this over and over and over. <laughs> and the thing is, some of them, yes, I look at the clock and go, okay, how much? Even the ones I like, some of them are just thunderball drags at points for me, too. But this one, it like flies by. I could repeat if it's on. I'm gonna watch it. I love that car chase because I'm a I'm a simpleton. You show me a bunch of flashing lights and crashing cars, particularly from the 70s. I'm happy. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I'll be honest. It's not the best piece of sim- cinema ever made. So I have to be honest. I'm gonna give it a high jaws too because I just love this movie. Hey, that's hey, like what you like. And yeah. I like Jill St. John. She's yeah, great. she One gets she gets she gets Jaws. She's Jaws. I pretty much agree with you, Dave. I love this movie. I just think this is just pure fun. I think that's what they were shooting for, and I think they succeeded in doing it. Now I accept that your mileage may differ, and you know, Chris, you're not crazy about it, and that's fine. I don't, you know, I don't have any issue with that. I don't, I don't mind when people disagree. I'm the uh, same way though. I'll if it's if it if it happens to be on, I'm going to watch a part, at least a part of it. But I, I don't th- I don't think this movie really fails at any point in what it's trying to do. I think Connery is fun in it. I think the story is fun. I think the action is fun. Uh, I think this is an, this is an attempt at a more lighthearted Bond I, than what we've seen in any of the prior movies. Excuse me. I think this is also an attempt to. To I I, I think this is you know they, they're they're cutting loose a little bit with the uh, we don't have to be totally believable. Uh, you know, I, I think they've they've made that decision, and they're not totally believable. But if you just kind of lo- go along for the ride, I think it's a hell of a ride. Uh, I don't think it's quite 
a perfect movie, so I don't think it's a Jaws. But I think it's a pretty high Jaws, Jaws 2 for my enjoyment level. I think it's got right. quotable lines in it. I think it's very easily rewatchable. Uh, I think it's just got a lot of fun scenes. Uh, and it's got a great theme song. It's got pretty women. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's pretty much got everything I'm, I'm looking for in a James Bond movie. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And plus, this is the first one you saw in the theater. So obviously, that's a there huge factor. There was a nostalgia too. aspect. Yeah, I, I'm not and that's fine. I'm against I, that. All right, you know how the last time we recorded about Bond, I, you know, we had talked about I don't think Connery could have done as good a job as George Lazenby did with that story. I think that this film would have been better off if they had plugged Roger Morton because I think his sensibility is just a little bit better. So I think that might be part of the I, I and I love the goofy Bonds. The the more error is probably my favorite overall. Um, but I just, I just, I can't mesh it. I can't reconcile it in my brain. I, I could know. see, I could see Roger Moore in this picture without any problem. Oh, I could really see Roger Moore doing it too. And he would have been a hell of a lot younger, and he would have looked even better than he did in uh, Live and Let Die. You know? Roger Moore was older so, than Sean Connery, by the way. Yeah, but he would have been younger than you know. Let's say that this was his first one. He would you know, have been younger than he was in Live and Let Die. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And and actually, Roger Moore, at whatever age this is, 40 years old, just for argument's sake, which I think was maybe not quite that. But Roger Moore at 40 years old looked younger than Sean Connery at 40 years old. A lot younger. Yeah. Yeah, he he held up pretty pretty remarkably well, but I'm sure we'll get to that by the time we're at a view to a kill. So <laughs> you, you know, the thing is, though, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. You watch a lot of these programs, say, from the 70s. The example that comes to mind is, you remember Emergency about the fire department? Yeah, sure. They would arrive at the scene, and you see this guy who looks like he's 100 years old. Uh, check his vitals. Oh, we have a male victim, age 43. But he looks like he's 70 years old. Yeah, yes. It's those hot-living 70s. I guess. That I only caught the tail end of, thank God. Maybe it was that short time in the 70s that caused me to prematurely bald. So... <sighs> Well, we, we are going to discuss the pluses and minuses of making the switch to Roger Moore when we do live in let down. But for now, we're going to call it quits on our James Bond retrospective for this episode. And uh, I want to thank you guys for coming on with me. Oh, always happy to be here. It's always great to have you. And uh, we, the three of us will get together again and do Live and Let Die sometime in the not-too-distant future. Excellent. Beautiful. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Is he dead? I sincerely hope so. No idea. This chap's been following me all day today. My God. You just killed James Bond.